Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. It all came to an end on August 28, 2009, with a plum thrown against the wall. After 18 years, the most volatile band in the world came to a halt, a finish, an end. Noel Gallagher and Liam Gallagher had always fought, but never like this time backstage, five minutes before a show in Paris. Words were exchanged, the plum was thrown, violence was threatened, and a guitar was destroyed. Two hours later, Noel issued a statement. It's with some sadness and great relief to tell you that I quit Oasis tonight. People will write and say what they like, but I simply could not go on working with Liam a day longer. Now, Noel had left Oasis before, but this time he really meant it. And since then, he's kept his word. No amount of money or demands from fans or passive-aggressive pleading from Liam has changed his mind. Instead, Noel has gone his own way, both professionally and personally. And the impression I get is that he's never been happier, more relaxed, or more confident with the way his life is going. So let's get caught up with Solo Noel by having a chat with the man himself. This is the Ongoing History of New Music Podcast with Alan Cross. Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds from the 2017 album Who Built the Moon. That's called Holy Mountain. Who Built the Moon was his third post-Oasis album. It debuted at number one on the UK charts. And if you've ever wondered about the woman on the cover, that's Noel's wife, Sarah. Hello again, I'm Alan Cross. And whenever I get a chance to talk to Noel Gallagher, I will drop everything to do it. A Noel interview is, is never conventional because he will always speak his mind, which means he is insanely quotable and often very funny. As a family, we've got to a place where we're just like, you know what? this town <laughs> no a lot, a lot, lots of little things lots of little things where are you going to go what do you want me to give you the address well if you like yeah okay well it's a huge manor house in the middle of uh, the countryside I'm not going to tell you what it's called but it's f***ing massive it's like almost as big as Yorkshire uh, it's got a black front door and very big gates when you go into it. It's like, uh, have you seen Batman's house? Yes, I have. Yeah, well, that Batman's house is like our guest house. Batman's house in the films, that's like where our nanny's going to live. <laughs> and that's not even a nanny for the kids, that's a nanny for the cat. The kid's nanny is like, f***ing, she's got a me- mega gaff. So go big or go home, right? Mate, I was an oasis. That's, yeah. that's true. That was uh, our mantra. Yeah, you see what I mean? Before we get into Noel's solo work, we need to revisit the Oasis breakup, just so we can put a big black period at the end of that particular sentence. This is what Noel said at a press conference on July 11th, 2011, two years after that night in Paris, and a few months before the release of the first High Flying Birds album. You know, I never really seen myself as being a frontman, and it's... I can see it being a major pain in the ass for me. Even a symbolic thing like standing in the middle of a stage, although I've done it before, I've done it in gigs for charity, so always in my head I was like, well, I'm doing somebody a favour, so f*** them, do you know what I mean? And now it's kind of like I've got to, I've got to stand in the middle of the stage and uh, that's going to be weird. 
So I'm not, I'm, you know, he's probably better off without me because he's in charge, you know. And I, well, this remains to be seen whether I'm better off without him, doesn't it? Solo Noel from 1996, during one of those times when Liam and Noel were fighting and Liam decided to bail on an Oasis show. So Noel took over and did the gig himself. Here's more from that July 2011 press conference. I'd never had enough of Oasis. I've had enough of him. And it, that, that, our, our whole relationship was never as bad as people made out, you know. But it wasn't like, you know... We weren't like Milli Vanilli, do you know what I mean? Or whatever that means, I don't know, but... <laughs> I assume they got on. But um, it kind of all started to unravel, if I'm being honest, when he started his clothing label. And he um, demanded that in the Oasis tour programme that he be allowed to advertise it. Which I was I was against because I didn't fit, I, I didn't I didn't think that it was right for him to be flogging his gear to our fans, and there was a massive row about that, and it, it kind of went back and forward for a bit, as I remember it, and in the end I said, all right, well if you if you if you want to advertise in the program, how much? And he couldn't get his head around that, and I was like, well if you know. Electrolux kettles, you know, want to advertise kettles in the tour programme, they pay us money, right? So how much are you going to pay me? And he hit the roof, and it, kind of, it slowly went downhill from there. And the, the night in Paris, it was, you know, he didn't turn up for the, to the V Festival gig, you know. He claimed he had laryngitis, but whatever, you know. And there was a lot of bad press around that. And in his own head, he thinks that I'm some kind of puppet master who controls the media in England. So we get to Paris and he starts saying, and he's reeling off journalists' names, and some of you are in this room. And there's all manner of people I'd never met, you know, you fing tell Johnny Borrell's moustache I want to kick his fing head in. And he's just like, what? I don't know what you're going on about. Hey, I'm Elvis Costello. And he's just like, what? Well, off his head. And it kind of went a bit. It was a bit like that, and he, and it, you know, and it was quite violent. At that point, it, not, there hadn't been any physical violence, but it was kind of, you know, it's a bit like WWE wrestling, and he was like the macho man Randy Savage, do you know what I mean? There was a lot of, oh yeah, and all that gear going on, and it's like, fucking hell, you know. And uh, I'll never forget, uh, there's all this kind of, Toing and throwing going on, and um, and I'm looking at Andy, who's sat there, constantly counting how many shoes he's got on, not saying a word. And I'm like, what the hell, you know what I mean? And he didn't say anything. And uh, Liam kind of just there, well, fuck you, and fuck you, and fuck you, and all, and all that again. <laughs> and he kind of storms out of the dressing room. But on the way out, and I'm glad it never ended like this. On the way out, he picked up a plum. And he threw it across the dressing room, and it smashed against the wall. And a part of me, a part of me wishes it kind of did end like that, because that would have been a great headline, you know. Plum throws plum and finishes 
you know, I, do you know what I mean? And um, so then he kind of leaves, he, he goes out the dressing room. And for whatever reason, he went to his own dressing room and he came back with a guitar and started wielding it like an axe. And I'm not f***ing kidding. And, I'm, and, I, and I make light of it because it's kind of, you know, it's kind of what I do. But it was, it was just a, it's a real unnecessary violent act. And he's swinging this guitar around and he kind of, you know, he nearly took my face off with it, you know. And it ended up on the floor, you know, and, and it, I put it out of its misery, you know. And... Then I said, you know, well, look, I mean, there was people who were in the band not saying anything, kind of looking the other way. It wasn't even a big dressing room, do you know what I mean? We were all involved in it and nobody was saying anything. So I was like, you know what, I'm f***ing out of here, you know. And at that point, the tour manager came in and just went, five minutes. <laughs> and uh, I kind of walked out and, it was, and I, I got to apologise to Chaz Smash for madness here, because as I was walking out, he was kind of came up and went, oh, all right, mate, and I might have told him to f*** off. And, I was, and if you're watching this, which you're probably not, or listening to I'm really sorry about that, but it was kind of a stressful afternoon. And um, I kind of got in the car, and I sat there for five minutes, and I just said, f*** it, that's it, I can't, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't do it anymore. You know? And I, reg I regret it, really, because we only had two gigs left. If I had my time again, I'd have gone back and done the gigs. That gig would have been dreadful, because he was out of his mind, you know. I'd have done that gig and I'd have done the next gig and we'd have all gone away and we could have probably discussed it, what we were going to do. We may never have split up, we may just have taken a hiatus and we could have all gone and done our other thing, but... Liam always said he would bring down Armageddon in the end, that's the way he kind of likes things to be, you know. And there you go. And it's a shame because I, I, I was comfortable in that band, I'd, you know, that I'd perfected that role of that guy who just stood on the right and played the lead guitar and done backing vocals and sang the odd acoustic. I f***ing mastered that. It took me 18 years. 18 years it took me to f***ing get that right. And I was brilliant at it. And if anybody came to the last tour, you'll know. I mean, I was f***ing great. <laughs> and, but in, you know, at the end of the day, he's obviously not, he, he doesn't like me, you know, but he doesn't like me in a violent way. I don't get on with him, you know what I mean? But he kind of takes it to a level which, for me, there's no, there's no point in being in a band with people you fight with. What's the point? You know, just go on and do bigger tours and make more money, you know, and then just always be arguing about You know, it's just nonsense. So, I kind of did everybody a favour. So, there, we have come to an end of Oasis. And when we come back, you look at Noel Gallagher, solo artist. This is a look at the post-Oasis career of Noel Gallagher, complete with lots of words from Noel himself. The first thing he did after Oasis was put out a record called Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds. This was November 17, 2011. It's a strange name, but there is a story. He says it's an homage to a former Fleetwood Mac guitarist, a guy by the name of Peter Green. Back in the day... That band was known as Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac. Noel liked the idea of his band being Noel Gallagher's something. Then he was rooting through some records and found a Jefferson Airplane album on which the band covered a song called High Flying Birds, which originally came out in 1963. And that was it. The band became Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds. Five singles came from this record. 
This was the first. It's called The Death of You and Me. The Death of You and Me from the first High Flying Birds album from 2011. A B-side EP for Record Store Day 2012 followed, and then nothing until a second album entitled Chasing Yesterday came out in 2015. But it wasn't like Noel wasn't busy. He says he wrote between 50 and 60 songs for this record. Ten made the cut, and the album became known as Chasing Yesterday. This is In the Heat of the Moment. The The second High Flying Birds album was followed by a remix album in the fall of 2015 before another album appeared in November 2017. That was Who Built the Moon, a record that we touched on earlier. Since then, Noel has dispensed with the idea of full albums and has released a series of EPs instead. We'll find out why in just a sec. Welcome back to this episode on the solo years of Noel Gallagher. There are those in the music industry who argue that the concept of the album is coming to an end and that the future lies in EPs, playlists, and individual songs. Noel agrees, sort of. Let's let's talk about the new EP. Why are you doing an EP instead of an album? Um, because I, I just had the material and I'd had an album out last year. I don't yeah. really want to put one out this year because then I won't be able to put one out next year. Ah. And I want to put one out next year while I'm sitting in my massive manor house, you know, smoking in a smoking jacket with a fez on discussing the world's problems with the cat I want to see you with a fez I really do well I could give you a link to a website I will do that okay <laughs> uh, so it has nothing to do with with the way the album seems to be with streaming it seems to be dying in a certain no I mean so they say but for an artist like me there will always be an album at some point because they're signposts in your life of how you got there and where you're going after that because i run my own business in 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 england i i can have these ideas and just like i wanted to put some music out while i was on tour because the set was getting a bit stale and uh i had the material and i had the willingness to make it work so we did but they'll, they'll definitely be another i mean the album won't be dead for me personally and but i don't i mean i i realize now people there's a very select group of people who will buy an album and listen to it from start to finish people want people want track one six five and nine don't they you know what i mean yeah and that's what a lot of hip-hop people are i do it i do it. i'm not sitting there saying you know i listen to you know all of paul weller's albums all the way through from start to finish you know you I mean, you eventually you will listen to them and eventually pick the tracks that you like that's just the way of the world it's the know? way the playlist is working yeah that's well it's algorithms have ruined everything yeah. algorithms and coffee, coffee? Ruined, yeah coffee is well if you think about it people will not people will f***ing refuse aggressively refuse to pay for music they don't mind paying $20 for two f***ing cups of coffee and walk down the street with it Walk down the street with it. At least sit in a f***ing chair and drink it and chat to the person instead of walking down the street looking at your phone. That's a good point. Coffee's ruined the f***ing world. When everyone drank tea, the world was a better place. Because you had to sit down and drink it properly. It, take, it takes a long time to have a cup of tea. It's a f***ing thing, in it? You know what I mean? Got 
about Noel's change in style away from the classic Oasis sound? We talked about that, too. The sound of this new EP, from what I've heard so far, is uh, a little different yes, for yes, you. Yeah. Why? Um, well, uh, the band I've got, I've got three girls in it, two of which are French, very exotic women. So I'm trying to exploit them. I think. <laughs> okay. You know I mean? that, that when I was when I was writing the stuff, I was like, I'm not hearing some 50 year old white guy singing this. I'm seeing a cool French chicken hot pants singing this. I'll just back her up. One thing that I read somewhere that you had spent a lot of time listening to NXS and U2 and watching too much Top of the Pops. Yeah, yeah. Well, I do that anyway. We stay in every Friday night, me and Sarah, uh, and uh, there's never anything on the TV. Well, there's always Top of the Pops is always on somewhere. Mm. So what's that? But I've been getting really big into the eighties uh, lately. Um, I think it's uh, between I think between nineteen seventy nine and nineteen eighty seven is a great f-ing era for pop music. If you think of seventy nine as like you know Talking Heads and Blondie and that new wave thing going into U two and all that and in excess and it's great, great and it's a it's a um, it's an era that I'd never really taken much notice of. The more I get into it, the more the more inspired I feel. Would you ever go back to flying the Oasis style flag in terms of sound? Well, it, if I wrote if I wrote a song on the guitar on the electric guitar which sounded as good as what I'd done before, mm. absolutely, absolutely. But I'm not in that headspace anymore. I'm afraid. It's not a case of changing musical styles. It's once you once you get out of the headspace of the rhythm guitar and everyone's good at doing it. I'm out of that now. I've got out of that. Um, I'm somewhere else with it now. But saying that, if I'm sitting noodling on the guitar one afternoon and another lift forever falls out of the sky, <laughs> get the f-ing Parker out, mate. Yeah. And the maracas. So where do you see your? What is your headspace then, other than rediscovering some of this '80s stuff? Like, I mean, there are all kinds of different textures with this record that, that people may not have expected from you. No, but it's not, it's not different for the sake of it. Like, the song has still got to be good. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just it's stylistically, it's just different. That's all it is. They're all written on the, elect- on, they're all written on the guitar. They've still got to work. I could, say, I could do them. I could do This Is The Place acoustically tonight. I mean, it'd be but I could still do it. Mm. Um, and it's just a case of... I don't particularly, as a 52-year-old, want to even remotely try and recreate what I was doing. 25 years have definitely maybe coming up, mm. right? I don't want to even remotely begin to try and emulate what was going on then. Because that was then. If I did that now, trying to rewrite Don't Look Back in Anger and all that, you're just pissing on everything that you've done. And I... For me, I mean, I'm you know, there's plenty of people out there living off the past and all that, and that's great. Do whatever you've got to do. I I am I'm of a different era anyway, where you've got to look forward or at least sideways when you shouldn't look back. Even if I mean, when I do look back, it's a glance. Like the second half of this set list tonight is kind of the Oasis stuff, which is fine. That's what people want, and that's great. The first 45 minutes is not going to be much fun for them. <laughs> but it's going to be f-ing fun for me. And the French chicks. Everyone else, I'm afraid, is going to have to wait. So that's just the way it is.
And finally, here's Noel talking about the recording process at Abbey Road Studios. Another anniversary, uh, 50 years since Abbey Road came out. Right. Uh, you guys are one of the famous clients of Abbey Road. Did you work in studio too? Yes. Yeah, yeah, what yeah. was that like? It was great. I was in, uh, actually I did Black Star Dancing in Abbey Road. I did a bit of This Is The Place in Abbey Road. Um, it's around the corner from my house, I can walk there. So, um, it's, it, it, I mean, I'm building my own studio now in London, but as studios go, it's, it's my local studio. But uh, Studio 2, well, you, as you can imagine, it's f***ing amazing, you know, when you kind of get in there and think, wow, he stood right there on acid singing Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. When I walked in to Studio 2 for the first time, I was shocked how much it looked like 1968. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing's changed. Yeah. And there was this piano pushed up against the side. The Mrs. Mills piano, the yeah. The Mrs. Mills piano. And it said, Lady Madonna piano, do not touch. Yep. Um, There's another one in Studio 3, which I was working in recently, which is where Beatles did, where they did, Revol uh, where they did Revolver. And um, there's a piano there. And it's still got the, the burn stains where they used to rest their cigarettes and play and whatever. You know, they played... Uh, well, hold a revolver on this piano. You can walk around that studio, they'll never offer it to you, but you can just say, where's all the Beatles mics? And you could hire them and they put them in there for the day. And I was in there with a woman named Gloria and they had something set up for a chamber orchestra. And there was this 1947 RCA ribbon mic that was sitting on the floor that was gonna do a cello or a viola mm. or something. And the woman said, yeah, that was John Lennon's favorite vocal mic. Yeah, yeah. And if you were to open it up, you'd find his DNA and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, come on. Yeah, but that's, that's you know, that's what, that's what that studio is all about, you know. She also said that, uh, she pointed to a piano, or I pointed to a piano. I said, what's that? She goes, oh, yeah, that's, that's one. piano. Of, yeah. <laughs> it's one of the five pianos. Hey, they, you never lose it. <laughs> it's one of the five pianos they used to play the final chord on A Day in a Life. The other four around here somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, they don't, they don't, when it all went digital in the 80s and 90s, a lot of the well, McCartney apparently bought a lot of the stuff, so he's got it in a lockup somewhere. So they don't have the original desks, but they do have desks from that era. But I love being in Abbey Road and being in the canteen, and you know, it's like the bars open until ten o'clock at night and all that, and it's you know, you can have some fun in there. Let me tell you. When I last spoke with Noel Gallagher, I left the interview thinking that this guy's never, ever going to agree to an Oasis reunion. And if I was him, I'd probably feel exactly the same way. He's got more money than he'll ever spend. He can continue to make music whenever he wants. He's got a family that he cares deeply about. And his musical legacy will uh, well, live forever with everything he did with Oasis. Noel Gallagher is in an enviable spot. We should all be so lucky. Why would he even think about reuniting Oasis? This program is available as a podcast. There are hundreds of episodes available. Just go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and every other podcast platform out there. Everything is free, too, so subscribe and binge away. You're invited to my website, which is updated all the time, ajournalofmusicalthings.com. And there's a free newsletter that goes along with it, so you won't miss a thing. You can also connect with me through Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And all email can go to alan at alancross.ca. And I promise to get right back to you. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Podcasts.